live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on Thursday, August 10th, 2023. I'm Gianna Volpe. A Suffolk judge ruled yesterday that Gilgo Beach serial killer suspect Rex A. Hureman must submit to a cheek swab as prosecutors seek to bolster their case through stronger DNA evidence. Grant Parpan reporting on Newsday.com that New York State Supreme Court Justice Timothy Mazai, the presiding judge in the case of the Massapequa Park architect, accused of killing three women, ruled prosecutors have enough probable cause to obtain the sample from Herman. Defense attorneys had sought to prevent prosecutors from obtaining the cheek swab, quote, court finds that contrary to the defendant's contentions, there is probable cause to believe that the defendant committed the crimes charged and therefore a basis to compel the buccal swab. Mazai wrote, noting that courts have, quote, held that a grand jury indictment alone is enough to provide requisite probable cause, end quote. Herman, 59, has pleaded not guilty to first and second degree murder charges in the killings of three women, Megan Waterman, Melissa Bartholomew, and Amberlyn Costello, whose remains were found near Gilgo Beach 13 years ago. Authorities have also said Herman is the prime suspect in the slaying of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, whose remains were found with the other three victims. All four of the women were sex workers, law enforcement officials said. Assistant Suffolk County District Attorney Michelle Haddad wrote in last week's motion, quote, specifically, it is expected this information would provide further relevant evidence of the defendant's identity as the perpetrator of these crimes, end quote. Haddad also noted that if the DNA did not match, the defense would be presented with a potential trial defense. Kierman is currently being held at the Suffolk County Correctional Facility in Riverhead and engaged in disturbing activity while investigators tailed him in the months leading up to his July arrest in the slaying of three women whose remains were found near Gilgo Beach 13 years ago. Suffolk Police Commissioner Rodney K. Harrison told Newsday in an exclusive interview yesterday the FBI was reluctant to join the task force investigating the killings. Harrison said, quote, they were concerned about, I guess, some past relationships where they weren't necessarily part of being inside the loop of the case, he said. Harrison also offered a definitive statement on Shannon Gilbert's connection to the case. Quote, it's a horrible accident. And as of right now, myself and the investigators assigned to the homicide squad still believe it was just an incident where she ran into the marsh and unfortunately drowned on that horrible day. End quote. Meanwhile, Harrison said investigators are not only continuing the investigation into the killings in the current indictment, but whether or not Herman could be involved in the other Gilgo killings or other unsolved slayings in Suffolk County. Should Long Islanders be worried that a serial killer responsible for some or all of the other killings is still at large? Harrison said, I wish I could give you an answer. I can't tell you at this time. Is Rex Herman going to be held accountable for the other bodies on Ocean Parkway? Harrison said, time will tell. In other news, East Hampton Town can continue to use revenue generated by the municipal airport in Wainscott to pay for legal fees as litigation over the facility's future continues, according to a recent court ruling. Joe Workmeister reporting on Newsday.com that that this decision is the latest development in an ongoing fight over East Hampton's effort to close the airport. The ruling stems from three separate lawsuits, aviation interests in Montauk residents who fear their hamlets. Air traffic will increase if East Hampton Town Airport closes filed against the town last year. The airport long has been a source of aggravation among some East End residents who have complained about constant noise, particularly during summer. In his decision last week, New York State Supreme Court Justice Paul J. Baisley Jr. denied a motion by the petitioners for the town to stop using revenue from operations such as landing fees, airport leases, fuel sales, and parking to pay for legal expenses. The plaintiffs argued that using such money could uh, using such money to cover legal fees negatively impacted airport operations. 
In the latest skirmish, the town argued it's more prudent to use airport revenue rather than taxpayer money for legal fees, which court records show have surpassed $3 million. East Hampton Supervisor Peter Van Skoyek said in this statement, the ongoing litigation, quote, has impeded the town's goal of managing and regulating its airport to reflect the desires of the community and ability to respond to community concerns about the airport, end quote. Attorney James Catterson, who represents some of the petitioners, said in a statement that they respectfully disagree with the court's recent decision and plan to file a motion to re-argue. And finally, Riverhead Fire Department Lieutenant Justin Berry has been named 2023 Firefighter of the Year by the Firefighters Association of the State of New York. Denise Civiletti reporting on RiverheadLocal.com that the honor comes to recognize Barry's heroic rescue following a rapidly spreading house fire at Riverhead on December 30th. Barry climbed through a window of the burning house on Doris Avenue late that afternoon to rescue a 77-year-old resident inside. The lieutenant, a seven-year member of the department, will be honored at the association's 151st annual convention this week in upstate Niagara. Quote, Lieutenant Barry acted heroically and selflessly to rescue this individual. Firefighters Association of the State of New York, President Ed Taze, said his intervention and quick action saved this person's life. And we're proud to name him as the FASNY 2023 Firefighter of the Year. Reading the weather in Sag Harbor in honor of Dr. Susan Powers, who did a reading of her newest book, Walking on Air, Embracing the uncertainties of life at the East Hampton Airport. Uh, excuse me. It's because of the news. East Hampton Library on July 3rd. And we'll be doing another Insect Harbor this fall. Looking like showers and possibly a thunderstorm today, mainly after 2 p.m. High near 83 degrees. South wind 5 to 11 miles per hour. Uh, tonight... Showers and possibly a thunderstorm continuing before 11. Then a chance of showers and thunderstorms between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. Man, we're getting a lot of rain. Then a slight chance of showers after 2 a.m. Some of the storms could produce gusty winds and heavy rain low around 68 degrees. South wind 9 to 11 miles per hour becoming northwest after midnight. Right now it's 68 degrees. Um, And of course, I've prepared for you... This morning, a walking on air playlist, music from all decades and uh, genres to go along with our interview with Dr. Susan Powers at the bottom of the hour. Where are we starting today, my friends? Ah, how about a little... Police, we've got Katrina and the waves. We'll walk on the moon, we'll walk on sunshine, and then we'll walk on air with Inda Eaton right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, news you can trust, music you love.
Katrina and the Waves, Walking on Sunshine, ahead of Walking on Air by Inda Eaton from the Why the Desert record, all in honor of our first guest this morning, Dr. Susan Powers, who's joining us to talk about her book, Walking on Air, Embracing the Uncertainties of Life. It is the Thoughtful Thursday segment, underwritten by Grace and Grit, bottom of the nine o'clock hour, a little after... Midnight, if you're listening to the replay, grateful to have Dr. Susan Powers in the studio with us. Good morning, Dr. Powers. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us and Anna as well. Let's start, as Walking on Air does, talking about the Buddhist monk sand paintings and about your sentence that reads, when we get through the deepest parts of grief, all that is left is the love. Yes, the first book that I wrote was called Ruthless Grieving, and it was the immediacy of my grief and the depth of the pain that we go through when it's traumatic loss. Right. Because you lost your husband and your your uh, adult daughter within a yes. three-month span. Yes. That mm. was in 2001. In yes. Right. one. Yes. And, and I, I really wrote out the deepest part of my grief in that first book. And then I like to tell the story about talking to my son uh, about, like, I said to him, oh, Bill, I think I have to write another book. And he said, Mom, he didn't say it exactly like this, but it was almost like, Mom, stop with the grief. (laughs) He said, your best message for your readers is the satisfying, fulfilling life you've been able to establish after traumatic loss. Right, right. And... um, and that's what Walking on Air is about. And uh, I had the thought about Walking on Air um, the week that my husband died. And I was walking along 13th Street <laughs> on the ground. And um, I thought, oh, we're all walking on air. And we just have to get to be good air walkers. And uh, it was sort of a crazy thought. but. When you have traumatic loss, you're cracked open, mm-hmm. and so all sorts of things come to you. The first chapter of my book, uh, Ruthless Grieving, the first one, I called it, the first section I called shock and awe. It's like a, a military term, but uh, when at first when you have loss like that, it's you're in shock, and at the same time, there's like a connection to a spiritual dimension and and that's i think why i thought of the buddhist sand painting because i also in addition to my thought that first week walking on air i thought of the buddhist sand paintings where you work and work and establish the details and the delicacy of the uh, of the design and then in an act of acceptance of impermanence they just wash it away and that was very similar to your feelings of losing bob right because you guys had worked so hard to develop a, a healthy, beautiful bond. Yes. And then, you know, cancer. Yes. Wiping it away. Exactly. Cancer washed it away. You know, I really appreciated the note that you had in there about uh, allowing yourself to grieve in whatever way, you know, your body, mind is telling you to. And the... um the feeling of expectation that you felt and, and others have felt that uh, we are not grieving in the right way. Exactly. Or, or one must not say this or do this or one should do this or say that. That was the beginning of, of the naming of the book Ruthless Grieving, that there's a way that one, in my experience, has to be ruthless because there's so many social controls on grieving you know, like, well, it'll just take a year, and then this will happen, and then that will happen. And that's just not the way grief is. I had helped a lot of people through grief before I lost my husband. And then I understood it from the inside. And that that note that you're talking about is about trusting your intuition right? and trusting yourself because there's so many, like, almost rules about it. You can't say that. Right. You're, you're his wife, you know, or whatever that is. Or you're crying too much, or you're crying too little. Uh, Stephen Levine, who studied grief with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross for many years, said that the most common feature of people grieving 
is that we think we're doing it wrong. Mm. And so that's why uh, the Ruthless Grieving book is full of permissions. Do what you need, feel what you need, write what you write, say what you say, and, and uh, intervening. And one of the things that I talk about, too, is that it's intervening on codependency. Oh, and that's a big topic in the book. Yes, which is people-pleasing. I'll do this because this will be good for you. And when you're grieving, all bets are off. And it's it's. I'm glad we touched on codependence. We should actually we'll return to that in in a little bit. I did want to say how interesting it is that imposter syndrome can creep up just about anywhere in life. Yes, and uh, within the worst parts. Grief. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's let's talk about um, the the morning decision Good. and a, and about uh, little little tips we can give folks to get through. Uh, not only loss, but but life itself. I know in the beginning of my gratitude list practice, it was difficult, and some days I, I didn't know how to f- what. I was feeling so ungrateful that I didn't even know how to find gratitude, and that's similar to some of the beginning stages of grief for you. Exactly. Where some days, and that that's okay. And uh, let's so let's talk about the morning decision and and just about uh, just deciding to accept being alive. Exactly, that's where it starts, and that's what I realized. I was going to a a session with a healer, uh, actually the week that Bob died. She had helped us through our whole journey, and um, I walked into her office, and I just knew I needed permission to be alive. And it was very surprising to me. But it was like, oh, I need permission to be alive. And that you've got to give it to yourself. That's the key. You got yes. it. <laughs> yes. And that, le- yeah. that leads into codependency as well. Because exactly. The same solution in a way. Well, the thing that I found most interesting is that uh, it can lead to a lot of the things that you don't realize, problems you're creating for yourself by overgiving from what you say is the well of your core of yourself and that that is actually an inappropriate way to give. Isn't that right? Can yes. you talk a little bit about codependency and about uh, healthy giving? Well, the short form of that, uh, the way I describe it, is overextend, resent. Mm. That overextension is a formula to be resentful in a relationship. And as codependents, we give and give and give uh, it's, it's kind of tragic because we give to help the relationship, to help everybody else, and, and uh, it's not good to give, to overgive. Right. I mean, it's obvious in one sense, but we all do it too in right. some ways. Right. And so not overextending is ta- taking, uh, focusing on yourself first and then giving uh, from the spillover. When there's extra. When there, there has to be extra. And codependents don't really know about extra. And so when I, you're grieving, there really is no extra. <laughs> how did you start to, to change that narrative for yourself and in your own life? Well, um, addiction is rampant in my family. And so I did go to 12-step programs. And one of the messages, uh, I think I've referred to Al-Anon a lot in the book. And the essential message of Al-Anon is keep the focus on yourself. And uh, the, the uh, negative example of that is, I'm cold, so you have to put on a sweater. Mm. I like to, you, so your other tools, journaling, mm-hmm. right? You, yes. you, uh, Al-Anon, mm-hmm. reading daily meditation books. You mentioned mm-hmm. uh, the language. Is that, is that the quote? Is that the book? Oh, The Language of Letting Go. The Language yes. of Letting Go. That's a wonderful book. Okay. Yeah. A I, daily reader. I was like, that's a, I'm sure that's not the full title yeah, of the, the book. Yeah, The Language of Letting Go. That's it. And then group therapy. Can you talk a little bit about psychodrama and how that's helped you? Well, I'd like to just go back to, the, to the morning decision just because that permission to be alive uh, helped me so much. And I, I really teach clients that and tell people about that. It's like just in the morning – Give yourself permission to be alive. And it sounds so simple, but it's very powerful. And uh, lately I've added in my own decision, 
um, I ch- it, that it's important to change the decision into your own words, whatever you need to decide in the morning. Your, dis- your intention for the day. How you set up your intention for the Try day. Try to make it as early as after waking, right? Mm-hmm. Some yes. great evolutions of, of Dr. Power's morning decision went from I am deciding to accept being alive today even though dot, dot, dot. I am deciding to do this day even though I don't want to. I'm deciding to accept this day in advance, uh, which over time turns into I'm deciding to be grateful to be alive today. I'm deciding to accept my life force today. I'm, I'm deciding to embrace this day with all its uncertainties. I'm deciding to do this day with care, which she writes evolves into I am deciding to open my heart to this day. This is the step where I am. Uh, I'm at the part of learning to catch the love, which is something I still struggle with. I'm deciding that this day can be good for me. I am deciding to learn from everything that happens today. I am deciding to enjoy today. That's it. You That's got a it. beautiful evolution. Yes, and it, it is the description of my process. And the words that I use, one of my favorite set of words right now is having a grateful heart. And it's really the key to walking on air, yes. too. A grateful heart, because a grateful heart puts me into the moment. And then uh, the, the decision in the morning at least helps me stay in the day. Right. And then staying in the day helps me get into the moment. Like they talk about uh, how it's it's impossible to worry when we're breathing, something exactly. like that. Like exactly. when you focus on your breath, you don't think about anything else. It's difficult, if not impossible, to feel resentful when you're actively being grateful. Exactly. Yes. And I'll skip to the end, which is uh, 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 the last section. I have a a part that writes about sort of closing the day, a decision at the end of the day. Oh, yes. Yes. Can you talk about that as well? Yes. And um, some of it is self-talk. Like I love that phrase about when you put your head on the pillow and um, deciding uh, that you did okay today. It's like accepting yourself. In the morning, you're accepting the day and yourself in advance, and at night you're accepting what happened and uh, uh, any criticism, you know, I, I think I reference in the book uh, about uh, putting your head on the pillow. And it's like they never should have said that to me. They are such assholes, you know, like that kind of self-talk at night, which can pop up if you've had any big challenges in the day. And and uh, the way to, I think, the healthiest way to close out the day is with a grateful heart. And I have a little different take on the gratitude list because uh, it's a popular thing. Oh, I loved yours. Is that you're going to talk about the satisfying moments? Moments. Ooh. Yes. Because, you know, that. it's like I'm grateful I can walk. I'm grateful I can see. Right. You know, it gets kind of uh, repetitive. empty and yeah. repetitive. And so I say uh, focus on five satisfying moments. I suggest writing them down to people. It's a very good tool for depression. Uh, just keep looking for where the satisfaction was in the day. And it, it's not like I'm so grateful I have a garden. It's so great, I'm so grateful that I saw that flower today right. at that time. Uh, and it's an experiential gratitude list. And it gives it legs and it makes it more meaningful to, for me. And um, It probably helps guide you in the future to really... Uh, appreciating those satisfying moments even more when they happen. Exactly. I've had people tell me, you know, that now I look for satisfying moments, you know, and it, it and shifts your attitude. That's beautiful, especially yeah. when you're talking about uh, manifesting good stuff. Exactly. Yes. All right. So do you want to talk about throwing love? We didn't, we didn't touch on catching love. <laughs> we'll well, get to talk that. About, let's we'll talk about that. throwing it first. Okay, good. Um, well, in the, in walking on air a few times through the book, I, I reference an old ancient Rumi poem, which is, there is a field out beyond ideas of, of right doing and wrong doing. 
I will meet you there. Right. And uh, a friend of mine, I was telling them about it, or I had given them, I think, a copy of the book. And this woman, who's an old friend, said to me, um, you know where that field is, right? And to tell you the truth, I hadn't really thought about where that field was. I thought it was very inspiring. You know, there's a field, and, right. and it's out there, and I, we won't judge each other. And, we'll, and, and so she said, it's in the heart. That's where the field is. It's in the heart. And the heart has no judgment. Right. And, and so uh, that is coupled with uh, having heard someone at a meditation meeting tell me that, or to tell the group, that uh, he had a friend that he was looking, that he always would call to get help. And um, he would call his friend about problems with people or things, and, and, and the guy would say, well, just throw love at it. And he would get so annoyed. You know, it's like, I'm calling you for help. Right. You're telling me throw love at it? It's not, it's, you always say the same thing. It and, seems so abstract. Yes. Until you start to do it. And yes. You practice and so it. one day he decided to try it with his teenage daughter who was really mad at him. And uh, she was mad and stalked out and he followed her into her room and he just sat with her uh, on the bed. This is what he described in his little talk. And, um, and he just put his hand on his daughter's hand and 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 he wanted to say look i'm i'm supporting this family and you shouldn't be mad at me and i'm doing my best you know he wanted to defend himself but instead he just approached it with love and put his hand on his daughter's hand and she immediately cried and opened up and it changed their relationship actually and so it was just such a good specific example of throw love at it and he gave me that phrase and uh uh and I hadn't seen him in years, and I ran into him, and I said, oh, by the way, you know that, that talk you gave about Throw Love at it? I wrote a book about it, <laughs> and he was so surprised. <laughs> and, it's, and it's funny because you talk, speaking of specifics, you talk about how to throw love at very specific issues, even dealing with a loved one who has Alzheimer's. Yes. And you, and you also detail how your mother learned to do that. And yes. uh, it, it sort of returns to uh, uh, connections to the, the mystical realm because you, you talk just as, as Dr. Stephen Post has talked about, about a, um, a mystical element uh, to folks who are living with uh, this condition and um, about noticing that in your own father and then your mother recognizing that he was more childlike. Yes. And then she said, well, I love children. Yes. And that helped her. Exactly. With the challenge. Yes. I, I, I wrote uh, the middle, the whole middle section of the book is about throw love at different challenges of life. And I was going to make it kind of. And death, right. Yes. yes. And I was going to make it kind of exhaustive. You know, it's like, well, people move, and then they have to throw love at that, and, you know, like thinking of details. And then I realized I just needed to write about the the challenges in my own life that I needed to learn how to love at. Right. And so um, it, it, my father had Alzheimer's, and so I wrote that chapter, Throw Love at Alzheimer's. It, I think it started – well, I, I wrote about Throw Love at Yourself – and then uh, I wrote about uh, which throw- is crucial, especially when it comes to the codependency. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And and throwing love at grieving. I also said in the chapter on throw love at grieving that ruthless grieving could also just be summarized as throw love at grieving, right. because it's it's about opening the heart. It's about acceptance. It's about honoring the painful feelings and not resisting them. Um. So all the chapters in the middle section of the book are throw love at this, at that. And there's even a chapter which is actually referencing uh, something. Uh, my, I have a third book in me, which in the beginning I always dread. that Oh, I have to write another book. But this one I'm really with because, uh, well, an aside is that my editor said, I was talking to my editor about dreading writing, and, and she said, 
Because I and she said what? What? And I said, well, I never know what I'm going to write, and I feel nervous about but it. But you're a discovery writer. That's it. That's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, so she said, Susan, you're a discovery writer. And then when I knew, when I learned that, when I realized that. Like I learned a lot about grief from writing the first book. I learned about about the tools of living joyfully in the second book. And so something that I want to learn about is growing older, throwing love at aging. And you talk about that in, in Walking on Air as well. There's a chapter, Throwing yes. Love at Aging. And so uh, my next book is going to be um, – well, I have two, ti- two working titles. One is How Old Are You? And uh, and the other working title is uh, the power of aging. Oh, I like that. Creating the role of elder. Okay. Because I, I uh, I'm always aware of like saying the field where there are no judgments. Uh, there are all these isms. You know, there's there's racism, there's sexism, and and uh, in consciousness raising in the 70s, I first learned about ageism. It was like ageism. Wow, that's that's against a group that I'm, I want to be in eventually. And so I'm like working against myself to have this. And ageism is pervasive. Yes. And Incredibly, uh, especially yes. in America. Yes. And, and the, the, uh, I have a little paragraph that I've already written. I haven't written much of the book at all. But, uh, and it's how old are you is the main question that people would ask me when I was young. Right. And it's something that pervades everything. And, and like, the answer matters. It, yes. it makes a real difference in the mind of the person that is asking. And we categorize you. people. You right. know, it's like someone died. How old were they? Mm. You know, it's, it's all about how old are they? How old are they? And, and it really— You uh, talk d- about that same idea with uh, when Bob passed with cancer. Yes. Did he smoke? That's right, yeah. People want to find a way— that it doesn't apply to them. Right. You know, it's like, oh, well, they died. They were 75. See, I'm, and, and I'm that, only 70. <laughs> that returns to that fear of aging and, and yeah. uh, growing old and, and, and death itself. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so the chapter, Throwing Love at Aging, is kind of the, the beginning of this third book. And, and <laughs> Dr. Powers, we're super excited. I know you just did a reading of, of Walking on Air on July 3rd at East Hampton Library, but we're going to be seeing you Harborfest weekend, September 17th at John Germain Memorial Library. At 2. At 2 o'clock. Thanks, Anne. (laughs) If you want more information, SusanPowersPhD.com. You can always ask your local bookstore for Walking on Air um, or Ruthless Grieving if they don't already have it on the bookshelves. And again, you can see Dr. Powers at John Germain in Sag Harbor on September 17th at 2 o'clock. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Dr. Susan Powers. This was the Thoughtful Thursday segment underwritten by Grace and Grit. This is Inda Eaton and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love. Today is a day, mental garden of Eden. I'm walking away from the light. I see it in my head, don't feel it in my heart. Take ten steps back. Go two steps up Walking on air till the dream died down Living this life my golden cage Sweet as the light that I tell myself This is all that I ever will understand Well the life starts simple Then the life takes off They say half your check is the view and I know in this town that lies an illusion They couldn't care less, we are walking on air
Smile till you cry and laugh at a key. I know in my heart you can never go back here. You can never go back here. When it comes to that place here, wanna live in a memory here. You can never go back here. You can never go back here. When it comes to that place.
The Revivalists, up in the air from the City of Sound record of 2012. I'm going to lead you into the NPR news break with my favorite air track of all time. It's the Hollies, the air that I breathe from 1974 here on WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love. I 